Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Today we're going to be reading Chapter 4 of Pre-Existence on pages 47 to 56, The Pre-Existence of Christ. The reader portion of the program is about 21 minutes long. After that, we'll get into the reading and commentary portion of the program. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And Zion's Redemption Radio Network and Fundamentally Mormon go live Monday through Thursday from 6 p.m. until 8 p.m. or until we're finished. Thank you for listening. The Pre-Existence of Christ. Chapter 4 of Pre-Existence, pages 47 to 56, program for Monday, April the 25th, 2022, going live at 6 p.m. Mountain and 5 p.m. Pacific. Questions and comments on call-in line and chat room and other links can be found at blogtalkradio.com. The modern Christians believe that Christ came down to earth from heaven and dash that he had a pre-existence as is very evident in the scriptures. But they have difficulty understanding that Christ was not the only mortal to have that pre-mortal life. However, a close look at the scriptures will show that we were all with him in the presence of the Father. John, New Testament. What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world, and go to the Father. Person Pratt, Journal of Discourses. Have you not read in the New Testament that Jesus Christ was the firstborn of every creature? From this reading it would seem that he was the oldest of the whole human family, that is, so far as his birth in the spirit world is concerned. How long ago since that birth took place is not revealed. It might have been unnumbered millions of years for aught we know. But we do know that he was born and was the oldest of the family of spirits. Have you not also read in the New Testament that he is called our elder brother? Does this refer to the birth of the body of flesh and bones? By no means, for there were hundreds of millions who were born upon our earth before the body of flesh and bones was born whom we call Jesus. How is it, then, that he is our elder brother? We must go back to the previous birth, before the foundation of this earth. We have to go back to past ages to the period when he was begotten of the Father among the great family of spirits. To show yet more clearly that the principle of man's pre-existence is founded on biblical authority, I will quote you part of the Savior's prayer to the Father, just prior to his crucifixion and dash, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Here we find Jesus actually referring to the time he dwelt with his Father before he took upon himself a body of flesh and bones. He also says, 
For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. He came down from the presence and abode of his father. On another occasion, while addressing the Jews, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. He was, in fine, the firstborn of every creature, and consequently the oldest of our father's family. If, therefore, it be now admitted that our elder brother had a previous existence with the father, why should it be thought unreasonable that the rest of the family should have a pre-existence as well as the firstborn? He was born according to man in the flesh, and why not his younger brethren have a similar birth with him in the spirit? John Taylor, Journal of Discourses, we are told, as I have already said, that God is the God and Father of the spirits of all flesh. We are further told that Jesus, the Son of God, existed before the worlds were. It is also stated that he is our elder brother, and that we pre-existed also in dash that is, our spirits did. Daniel H. Wells, Journal of Discourses, Jesus told the Jews that Abraham saw his day and rejoiced in it. They queried with him as to how he and Dash not fifty years old and Dash could know anything about Abraham, who had been dead so long. Jesus said and Dash, before Abraham was I am. They seemed to puzzle the Jews. They did not understand the principle of pre-existence and that Jesus, who was then clothed with flesh, had possessed an existence in the spirit world, that he was the firstborn of many sons, and had been born before Abraham in the spirit. Jesus understood it, and once in a while, as in that case, he spoke upon the principle. Person Pride, Journal of Discourses, there are many principles contained in the words which I have just read. Jesus, for instance, stood before the brother of Jed, not in his body of flesh and bones, not as an infant, not as a small spirit one foot or two feet high, but a full-grown spirit. And when the brother of Jed beheld the finger of Christ, he beheld a full-sized finger as of a man, for says Jesus, When I shall take a body of flesh and bones and redeem my people, I will appear as thou now seest me, but this is the body of my spirit. I show myself in the spirit, you behold it, you see that it is of the size of a man. All men in the beginning have I created after the body of my spirit, as much as to say that, you, the brother of Jed, did not receive your existence a few years ago here in the flesh. That was not your origin, but all men, all those that I will show you that have existed or will exist upon this earth, in the beginning have I created after the image of the body of my spirit. They were all spiritually organized before they came here. This is the only place in the Book of Mormon where pre-existence is clearly spoken of, and it was revealed before the organization of this church, and is a doctrine which was not in the possession of the Christian world. Hence it shows that it was dictated by a spirit capable of revealing a doctrine unknown to the Christian world and dash the pre-existence of man. George Q. Cannon, Journal of Discourses, it has been argued that because we have no recollection of any previous state of being, our existence must, therefore, have commenced at our birth and dash that that was the inception of existence so far as we are concerned. This is the general belief throughout Christendom. Nobody of worshippers who call themselves Christians, that we have any account of, have any belief in a pre-existent state for man. They consider his birth into mortality as the beginning of life for him. Yet the belief is universal among them that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Redeemer of the world, had a pre-existence. It is the cornerstone of their faith, 
If Jesus did not have life till he appeared in mortality, then their faith in him is vain, for he would not be God. But they profess to believe that he is God, the Son, that he dwelled in the heavens and was the creator of all things before he took upon himself humanity. In believing this they are correct. But why they should be willing to believe this concerning our elder brother Jesus, and at the same time be unwilling to believe that the whole family of man also existed in the heavens with the Father before they came here, is not clear. His disciples had the right to think from all that he taught, that if he had been with the Father before coming into this mortal life, they also had been there. If they were to be so closely associated with him in the great future what was there to suggest to them that they had not been intimately connected with him in the past? If he has been chosen from before the foundation of the earth to do the work which he was then doing, what inconsistency would there be in their being chosen also, as his ministers and associates, at the same time? To look at them as they traveled and labored together throughout tree, there was nothing unreasonable in the idea of their common origin. The Lord Jesus was undoubtedly selected for the great mission of redeeming the world, because of his great qualities and his peculiar fitness as one of the Godhead. It is written of him, Thou lovest righteousness, and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Who were his fellows? Were not all the distinguished of heaven's sons then dash they who afterwards made their appearance on the earth as prophets? apostles and righteous men? If he was chosen above all his fellows, and anointed with the oil of gladness, is it not consistent and reasonable to suppose that his faithful apostles were also chosen and anointed to perform their part in the great drama of human existence for the enactment of which the earth was to be prepared? If he had companions in the heavens, or to use the language of the scriptures and dash fellows, is it reasonable to suppose that he left them there while he came down here and took upon himself mortality? Does it violate in the least any idea that we derive from the sacred records, to think that his fellows also came here, and, as he did, also obtained mortal tabernacles? If we grant that his fellows in the heavens came here, as he did, and obtained mortal bodies, what shall we say of the undistinguished millions who have crowded their way forward into mortal life from the beginning? Shall we divide humanity into classes, and say one class had a heavenly existence before coming here, while another class sprung into existence at mortal conception or birth? If we are not justified, by either scriptural reason, in placing the Redeemer of the world in a class by himself, so far as pre-existence is concerned, and in separating him in this respect from his fellows, how can we find warrant for dividing the rest of the family of God, into two classes and dash one as having a pre-existence, and another as not having any life till they arrive here? If it were possible for the Lord Jesus to descend from the mansions of glory and take possession of a mortal tabernacle, and be born of a woman in the shape of an infant, is it not equally possible that we all did the same? Everything that we know concerning the mysteries of this life justifies us in thus believing. But we are not left to speculation upon this point. God has revealed it in great plainness. The Bible proves to us that Jesus existed with the Father, and that he descended from his high estate in the regions of glory to become a mortal man. For he speaks himself in praying to the Father, of the glory he had with the Father before he came here, that glory having been revealed to him. Now, is anything difficult or incomprehensible in the thought, that we all in like manner, 
existed with the Father and with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ before we came here? Person Pride, Journal of Discourses, when we come to new revelation which God has vouchsafed to give to his people in these latter times, this subject is made very plain, and on these new revelations in connection with the old, what little light we can gain through the hymn that was sung at the opening of the meeting, was founded, when shall I regain thy presence, as expressed in the first verse, showing that we once were in his presence and existed where he is, but for some reason we have been banished therefrom, and that when we are redeemed we shall return again, or as one of the inspired writers has it end dash, the spirit shall return to God who gave it. This returning of the spirit to God who gave it, clearly shows to my mind that the spirit once existed with God and dwelt in his presence, otherwise the word return would be inapplicable. If I were going to China, it would be inapplicable for me to say I am returning to China. Why? Because I never have been there, consequently the word return would be an improper word. So in regard to the saying of the prophet, it would be entirely improper to say that, after the body crumbles to dust the spirit would return to God who gave it, if it never had been there. Jesus seems to have been a pattern in all things pertaining to his brethren, and we find that he had a previous existence and ash his spirit existed before he came and tabernacled in the flesh. This is abundantly proved in the scriptures. In the prayer which he offered to his heavenly father beseeching him to make his disciples one, he says, Father, glorify thou me with that glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now if Jesus dwelt with the father before the world was, why not the rest of the family, or in other words, the rest of the spirits? It certainly was not his tabernacle which dwelt there before the world was, for he came in the meridian of time, and his spirit entered a tabernacle of flesh and bones, and was born of a woman, just the same as all the rest of the human family. What then is the meaning of that scripture which speaks of Jesus being the elder brother? It certainly could not have reference to him being the oldest so far as his natural birth on this earth was concerned, for he certainly was not the oldest, for generation after generation had preceded him during the four thousand years which had passed away, from the time of creation until he was born. But yet he is called the elder brother. In another scripture it is said of him that he was the firstborn of every creature. This would imply, then, that Jesus, so far as the great family of man is concerned, was the firstborn of the whole of them. How and when was he born? He was born in the eternal world, not his flesh and bones, but that intelligent spirit which dwelt within his tabernacle was born before this world was made, and he seems to have been the first spirit that was born, and for this reason he became the elder brother. And we are told in many scriptures in the New Testament, that we are his brethren, and that he is not ashamed to call us his brethren. I look upon him as having the same origin as we had, only he was the oldest. And if he was born in the eternal world thousands of years ago, why not all the rest of his brethren, so far as their spirits are concerned? I know that the objection will immediately arise in the minds of individuals who have not reflected on this subject, if we were intelligent personages thousands of years ago, and dwelling in the presence of God, and of Jesus. Our elder brother, how is it that we have no remembrance of anything that transpired in our pre-existence? I answer this question by saying, that when we came into this world from our former state of existence, and had our spirits enclosed within these mortal tabernacles, it had a tendency to take away our memories so far as the past was concerned. 
He did so in relation to Jesus. He had great knowledge before he was born into this world and dash sufficient to create the heavens and the earth. Hence we read in the Hebrews that God, by his Son, made the worlds. This was before Jesus came here, and he must then have been the possessor of great knowledge to have been able to do that. But when he took upon himself flesh and bones, did he forget this knowledge? We read in the scriptures, speaking of Jesus coming here and taking a body of flesh and bones, that, in his humiliation his judgment was taken away. What humiliation? His descending from the presence of God his Father and descending below all things, his judgment was taken away, that is, his remembrance of things that were past, and that knowledge which, while in the presence of his Father, enabled him to make worlds, and he had to begin at the first principles of knowledge, just the same as all his brethren who came here in the flesh. We read that Jesus, as he grew in stature, grew also in wisdom and knowledge. If he had possessed all wisdom, and had not forgotten that which he formerly possessed, how was it that he could increase in wisdom as he increased in stature? It shows clearly that the wisdom which he had possessed thousands of years before, had for a wise purpose been taken from him. His judgment was taken away, and he less than was greater than left, as it were, in the very depth of humility, beginning at the very first principles of knowledge, and growing up from grace to grace, as the scriptures say, from one degree to another, until he received the fullness from his father. Then when he did regain all his previous knowledge and wisdom, he had the fullness of the father within him. In other words, in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now if his knowledge was forgotten, and his judgment taken away, why not ours? We find this to be the case. Person Pratt, Journal of Discourses. After having translated the Book of Mormon, this young man, Joseph Smith, a man of no education or learning, comparatively speaking, was commanded to translate the Bible by inspiration. He commenced the work, and the first and second chapters of Genesis containing the history of the creation are very plain and full. In the first chapter the Lord speaks about the spiritual creation of all things before they were made temporally. In the second chapter, he goes on to state that there was not yet a man to till the ground, for in heaven created I them. That explains the mystery about the work previously spoken of in the first chapter, and shows that it had reference to the great work which God had performed in the heavens before he made this earth temporally. This same doctrine is inculcated in some small degree in the Book of Mormon. However, I do not think that I should have ever discerned it in that book had it not been for the new translation of the scriptures, that throwing so much light and information on the subject, I searched the Book of Mormon to see if there were indications in it that related to the pre-existence of man. I found them in a great revelation that was given to the prophet who led the first colony to this country from the Tower of Babel at the time the language was confounded. This great prophet had a remarkable vision before he arrived on this continent. In this vision he saw the spiritual personage of our Savior as he existed before he came to take upon him flesh and bones. And Jesus, in talking to this great man of God, informed him that as he appeared to him in the spirit so would he appear to his brethren in the flesh in future generations, and said, He, I am he that was prepared from before the foundation of the world, to redeem my people. He furthermore addressed himself to this great man saying, Seest thou that thou art created in mine own image? That is, 
man here on the earth is in the image of that spiritual body or personage of Jesus, so far as we are not deformed. Seest thou that thou art created in mine own image, yet even in the beginning created I all men after mine own image. Note, there is a great deal more information pertaining to the pre-existence of Christ, some of which is included in chapters 9 and 10 of this publication. Chapter 5 Genesis in the Two Creations Okay, let's get into the reading and commentary portion of the program. Once again, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. If you call during the recorded portion of the program, uh, we'll take your questions and answers off the air. If you would like to be part of the live portion of the program, just wait till after the reading and commentary portion of the program, or you can call, and uh, I'll bring you into the screening room, and you can uh, talk to me off the air, and then uh, you can wait, <clears throat> you can wait uh, and listen on the phone, and then I'll bring you up as soon as we go to the live portion. The Pre-Existence of Christ Chapter 4 of Pre-Existence, pages 47 through 56. Oh, also, real quick, um, the chat room is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And this program is for Monday, April 25th, 2022, and we are going live at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, 5 p.m. Pacific. Um, We go live Monday through Thursday at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. All right. The modern Christians believe that Christ came down to earth from heaven, that he had a pre-existence as is very evident in the scriptures, but they have difficulty understanding that Christ was not the only mortal to have that pre-mortal life. However, a closer look at the scriptures will show that we were all with him in the pre-existence of the Father. John in the New Testament stated, uh, are recorded, What? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? That's John chapter 6 verse 62. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. John chapter 16, verse 28. Okay, so a lot of Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the Father, and they believe in the Trinity. Well, Mormons believe that Jesus Christ becomes the Father through the law of adoption, at least uh, people who are who understand the deep theology of Mormonism know this. A lot of people don't because they don't study. But when Jesus took upon himself our sins and transgressions, and we accept him and go through the gate, through baptism and confirmation, and we become adopted to Jesus Christ, and he becomes our father in a sense but we believe that he has a father above him. So 
Mormons are not Trinitarians. Not even a little bit. And I used to be a Trinitarian. Um, I used to believe that Jesus was the Father and that he was the one. I mean, that's it, you know? But um, when Jesus is up on the cross, he tells the thief uh, today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Yet three days later, he says, touch me not. I have not yet ascended to my father. And this is after he's resurrected. He's like appearing in the garden, at the garden tomb to Mary, who is extremely distraught. And this isn't Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary Magdalene, the wife of Jesus. I know. Everybody flips out about the fact that Jesus was married, but get over it if you can. Anyway, but he says, Hold me not, or touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go unto my brethren, and and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and to your Father, and to my God, and to your God. This one, uh, these two scriptures show that Jesus, first of all, said he was going to paradise, but had not yet been to where the Father is at. Meaning the Father and the Son are two separate individuals. Um, when he told Mary, I go unto my father and to your father and to my God and to your God, that, that also lines up with Revelations chapter 1 where it said that Jesus Christ hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, showing a plurality of gods, <clears throat> not even coming close to a Trinitarian notion. The Trinitarian notion wasn't even in the church until Constantine brought it into the church. It was either at the Council of Trent or the Council of Nicaea, but it was hundreds of years after uh, after the fact. Now, in early Mormonism, <clears throat> the people would have been taught that when Jesus Christ ascended to his Father and to his God, two separate individuals, he would be ascending unto Michael, who was Adam, who is our Father and Mary's Father, and Jesus' Father, and to our God and to... um, your God, that would be Jehovah our Elohim or Jehovah our Elohim because Jesus in early Mormon doctrine is not is not Jehovah. And uh, in Moses chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, Moses, uh, Jehovah is speaking to Moses and Jehovah tells Moses, you are in the very similitude of mine only begotten son who is full of grace and truth will come in the meridian of time, speaking of Jesus. This is Jehovah speaking to Moses about Moses being in the similitude of Jesus. Also, Ether chapter 3, <clears throat> excuse me, Ether chapter 3, um, Ether, uh, well, Mohanra and Mori Ankumar sees the finger of Jesus as a spirit being, and then um, because of his great faith, Jesus 
is seen completely by Mohanre Mori Kamara, the brother of Jared. And Jesus says, never at any time have I showed myself unto man. So this person, this individual, says, this is my spirit body. This is what I'll look like when I come in the flesh. Well, um, before the flood, so this is after the flood, but before the flood, Jehovah had appeared to many different individuals. Methuselah, Enoch, and Adam are the, the greatest ones that I can think of, but I know there's more. And it said that Jehovah walked and talked face to face with Enoch. Adam and Eve saw him in the garden. Methuselah saw him as well. And then after the flood, Jehovah had a meal of meat and dairy with Abraham. And he brought three of his buddies with him, three other resurrected angels. This was before the resurrection. That's because these individuals had received bodies in a previous, on a previous earth. And Jehovah had a body, but at the same time, right around the same time period, Jesus Christ says, this is my spirit body, this is what I'll look like when I come in the flesh. And with that um, com- com- combination of scriptures, especially Moses chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, I don't know how in the world the modern Mormon church teaches that Jesus and Jehovah are the same person. Now, you'll hear some people making arguments, and they're about as good as the Jews making arguments against Jesus Christ because they have a tradition, and they have to defend the tradition no matter what the Scripture says. And it's sad. If people are interested in truth, they shouldn't be making up excuses for why their truth doesn't fit the Scriptures. Joseph Smith taught that if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, you set them down as imposters. And so these individuals that teach that Jesus Christ is Jehovah when the Scriptures say otherwise, I consider them imposters. Orson Pratt stated in Journal of Discourses, Volume 18, verse uh, pages 290 and 292 states, quote, Have you not read in the New Testament that Jesus Christ was the firstborn of every uh, creature? From this reading, it would seem that he was the oldest of the human family. That is, so far as his birth in the spirit world is concerned. How long ago since that birth took place is not revealed. It might have been unnumbered millions of years for aught we know. But we do know that he was born and was the oldest of the family of spirits. I don't think he understands some things. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Continuing our thought on with the quote. Have you not also read in the New Testament that he is called our elder brother? Does this refer to the birth of the body of flesh and uh, and bones? By no means. For there were hundreds of millions who were born upon our earth before the body of, of flesh and bones was born, whom we call Jesus. We're on page 48 if you're reading along. By the way, you can read along. Uh, I do post these on tumblr.com forward slash 
fundamentally Mormon, the whole chapter's there. I also post them on my wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S-1977. But it would be a little bit harder to find those if you're, if you're listening to this in the future. Uh, Tumblr is probably a better way to find it. Or you can just go to ogdenkrat.com and then scroll down uh, to where it says read Ogden's books and then scroll down all of his books down to pre-existence and we're in chapter 4 on page 48 if you do want to read that that's where that is alright continuing on with the quote how is it then that he is our elder brother we must go back to the previous birth before the foundation of this earth we have to go back to past ages to the period when he was begotten of the father among the great family of spirits to show yet more clearly that the principle of man's pre-existence is founded on biblical authority, I will quote you part of the Savior's prayer to the Father just prior to his crucifixion. And this is Jesus. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Here we find Jesus actually referring to the time he dwelt with his father before he took upon himself a body of flesh and bones. He also says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. He came down from the presence and and abode of his father. On another occasion, while addressing the Jews, he says, Quote, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. He was, in fine, the firstborn of every creature, and consequently the eldest of our father's family. If, therefore, it is now admitted that our elder brother had a previous existence with the father, why should it be thought unreasonable that the rest of the family should have had a pre-existence as well as the firstborn? He was born according to man in the flesh, and why not his younger brethren have a similar birth with him in the spirit? And that's end quote. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand also multiple mortal probations and the law of adoption. So when Jesus Christ was in a prior mortal probation, which Joseph Smith taught at the lecture at the Grove, he attained unto the highest level um, well not the highest level I don't know how to explain it very well but um, he was God the witness of that world and he was true and faithful to his position as God the witness and when the new heaven and the new earth were created that world became a pre-existent world to this world and when John talks about the new heaven and the new earth that will be created in the future when he talks about that in the book of revelations this world will become a pre-existence to that world and Jesus Christ when he paid for our sins in this world and we become adopted to him through the law of adoption he becomes our father because he bought us with the price of his own blood and 
in his mortality, he says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect. But when he came among the Nephites, he said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as I and my Father are perfect. In the Book of Mormon, Jesus says, I am the Father and the Son. And he is, because when we are adopted to him, because he paid for our sins, he becomes our Father and we become his His sons and daughters through the law of adoption. It doesn't mean that we don't have a father above him or that he doesn't have a father, but he becomes the father at that point. When this earth becomes a fire of seeing glass, a great urine and thummim, and a new heaven and a new earth is created, this earth becomes a pre-existence and the next earth Jesus Christ becomes the father of that world the same way Michael became the father of this world where Jehovah was sent by the council of the Elohim this is in the temple endowment when you don't have a correct foundation you don't see it but when you have a correct foundation it opens up to you under the direction of God the eternal father are the exalted ones I hate the word God it's a pagan word and it doesn't really work very well to understand these things. But Elohim means mighty ones in Hebrew. It's also a plural for El, which uh, makes it, uh, you know, a plurality of El or exalted ones. But um, under the direction of God, the Eternal Father, are the council of the El or the Elohim, the exalted ones. In our modern vernacular, we'll call them gods. And the gods, or the council of the mighty ones, sent Jehovah and told them to take Michael to create the earth. When they get to where Michael is going to create the earth, Jehovah shows them how to do it. And then Michael creates the earth under the direction of Jehovah, who is our Elohim. Everywhere in the scriptures it says the Lord your God. What it says in Hebrew is Jehovah Elohim or Jehovah your Elohim. That's the way it should have been translated, but it wasn't. So anyway, and that's a whole other issue. Anyway, so when Jehovah our Elohim instructed Michael to do the work of creation or organizing unorganized elements... Um, Michael becomes the father and Jesus or Joseph Smith actually said that there are three especially in the lecture at the Gold, but he said this in other places as well there are three who stand as president of this earth and they are God the father who is the creator God the redeemer who is you know Jesus and God the son are not or it's God the witness who is the Holy Ghost. So those three are the first presidency of this earth, and they are under the direction of Jehovah our Elohim, and he is under the direction of the council of the Elohim, and they are under the direction of God the Eternal Father. So anyway, when Jesus becomes our Father, he moves up the ranks. But it was Michael who created this earth, Now, Jesus did help organize as well. And in Hebrew, the word create means to organize. What Jesus did was he organized the spirits. 
in the, uh, after the war in heaven, he organized the spirit. And it was Michael that organized the earth under the direction of Jehovah our Elohim. This is all in the temple endowment play. Uh, of course, it's been obscured because they change it over time, but it's still there for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Anyway, but um, so when this earth is, is finished, God the Witness moves up to God the Redeemer, and God the Redeemer moves up to God the Father, and Michael, who is God the Father of this earth, who is Adam, he moves up to an Elohim status, and he will show Adam, or he will show um, Jesus how to create a new heaven and a new earth, well, a new earth anyway, and... Jesus will become the Adam of that world. And God the Witness will become a Redeemer of that world. And in that, there will be chosen to be God the Witness. And that will be the first presidency of that earth. So this earth, you have, under the direction of Jehovah, who is our Elohim, you have God the Creator, who is the Father, who is Michael. God the Redeemer, who is Jesus, Yehoshua or Yeshua, depending on the Hebrew or the Aramaic. And then you have God the Witness, who is the Holy Ghost, who will come in the flesh or has come in the flesh and is walking on the earth right now. So, anyway, uh, the next quote, John Taylor, Journal of Discourses, volume 24, page 291, states, we are told, as I have already said, that God is the God and Father of the spirits of all flesh. We are further told that Jesus, the Son of God, existed before the worlds were. And that's entirely true because it shouldn't be a secret, but Satan loves it when he can get you to not understand things, so it is a secret. But it's not. That we're all eternal. The same substance that God the Eternal Father who was first and God the Eternal Mother who were first came from is eternal. The intelligence, when it becomes self-aware, becomes, it separates and you have a, uh, a female and a male or a masculine and a feminine spirit and... God the Eternal Father was once an intelligence. And so were we all. So Jesus Christ has existed from, be, from before he was fully self-aware, but he, he, there's a point where he became self-aware. But it's the same with all of us. We are all the same substance as what God is. We're his children, but we come from the same substance. And all spirits do, even the animal spirits. Anyway, but um, I'm not sure what the difference is between the animal spirits and us. Um, obviously intelligence, but I know that there's exalted animals in heaven that talks about them in the book and the, Re the revelations. Anyway, continuing, 
it is also stated that he is our elder brother and that we pre-existed also. That is, our spirits did. All right, we're on page 49. Daniel H. Wells, Journal of Discourses, volume 12, page 134, stated, Jesus told the Jews that Abraham saw his day and rejoiced in it. They queried with him as to how he, not 50 years old, could know anything about Abraham who had been dead so long. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. This seemed to puzzle the Jews. They did not understand the principle of preexistence and that Jesus, who was then clothed with flesh, had possessed an existence in the spirit world that he was the firstborn of many sons and he had been born before Abraham in the spirit. Jesus understood it and once in a while, as in that case, he spoke upon the principle. Okay. Uh, all right, first of all, Daniel H. Wells doesn't know what he's talking about. The Jews did understand pre-existence of spirit. Why else would they say who uh, who sinned was this, that this man was born blind? Well, how can you sin before you're born if you don't have an existence? Okay, this is lazy, lazy by Daniel H. Wells, who was an apostle in the LDS Church. The reason that they flipped out when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, because when... When Jehovah appeared to Moses upon the mountain, Moses said, Who shall I say sent sent me? And Jehovah said, I tell them I am sent you. So when Je- when Jesus is it's like before Abraham was I am, oh my gosh, that was blasphemy in the extreme. But you know what? Jesus was the I am. He was the angel or messenger of Jehovah. And he spoke in the place of Jehovah, in that place as a spirit being, to Moses. So Jesus wasn't lying, but the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. That's why they flipped out and they were trying to kill him for blasphemy because Jesus said I am they understood it completely there was no like Jesus was very very he was just like putting it out there he knew that they were going to do that he didn't care he did not care and he knew that God would protect him because he had a mission it's the same thing with me like sometimes I'll tell you things about myself and maybe I should be quiet about that I guess but I know that God isn't going to allow me to to be killed over it and the fact like my friends used to joke around about how like I'm Lazarus and I don't know why they chose Lazarus because I wasn't brought back from the dead, but let me just tell you a little bit about myself. I know this program's not about me, but it's my blog talk radio, so I can say what I want. Um, I've been shot at four times. 
once uh, hunting where I fell on my back in the cloud of shotgun bullets flew over where my head was. I, I was very lucky to have seen what was coming and just I, I fell back on, on my back, I, right on my back. The next time I was shot at was in Ogden, Utah, and they shot up the, the back of my car, uh, but they didn't hit me. Um, they were chasing us, by the way. It was a, it was a crazy story I'm not going to get into right now. But um, anyway, that was in 96. And then the other one was probably in 94, 93. Anyway... Um, it was after, no, this was before 9-11, so it would have been in 2000, I was, I was headed over to, um, to Journal Square from Jersey City, so I, I parked at this truck stop on Highway 1 and 9 in Jersey, and I walked through this neighborhood, headed to Journal Square, if you want to Google it, you can look up the map where I was walking. It was on the east to west road. But anyway, I was walking through this bad neighborhood because I was going to go see Manhattan. I was going to Times Square. Anyway, so I'm like walking over there and there's like four or five black dudes standing on the corner of the street on the other side. And like, I'm pretty sure white people did not walk through this neighborhood. I was pretty, pretty ghetto. But I'm like oblivious to danger because I'm an idiot. I'm walking along and this this young black male walks out in the middle of the street and he says, hey! And I turned my whole body to look at him and he pulled his gun out like sideways like gangster and he emptied his clip. Now, right behind me there was, so in in Jersey City, where I was, there's like no yards in the front yard. You have sidewalk, and then you have the building. And the building that I was standing next to was old brick. So these bullets, I'm like literally standing a couple of feet from the building. These bullets are hitting this building, and the, the shattered brick is showering down on me. This man emptied his clip. To the point where it was clicking when he would pull the trigger. He put his gun, or he like stopped aiming at me, and he looked. He put his gun down, or held his gun down, and then he like pounded his chest, and he said he had respect for me because I didn't like hide from him. But um, I can tell you that I felt at least one bullet wisp past my cheek. I heard it wisp as it went by. I don't know how many bullets that man had, but he emptied them all out. And if it wasn't for his buddies that were standing behind him, who probably had guns themselves, I would have probably killed that man, beating him to death, which I'm very capable of. I was homeless when I was younger. I know how to fight. And I know how to hurt people because, like, I, I learned a long time ago, if you get in a fight, you have to hurt them to the point where they will not get up and come after you. 
And not that I want to, but I've been literally in hundreds of fights because apparently some people's demons don't like me very much. <laughs> and, uh, and people have come after me and I've, I had to protect myself through defending myself in fights my whole life. Anyway, but um, I've had a lot of other experience. I've been blown up, I've been hung, I've been poisoned, I'm still here. I don't know what Jesus went through before he went into his ministry, but I am pretty sure he knew that he was not going to die until it was his time. And so when he told them before Abraham was, I am, them's fighting words, he knew exactly what they'd do because the law for blasphemy, um, he should have been stoned. Of course, there should have been a council, but it wasn't blasphemy because Jesus was the I Am. He was the angel or the Melech of Jehovah who spoke as a messenger of Jehovah on Mount Sinai. He is the I Am of Jehovah, the self-existent one of Jehovah. Anyway, continuing on, Let's see, Orson Pratt in Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, page 352 states, There are many principles contained in the words which I have just read. Jesus, for instance, stood before the brother of Jared, not in his body of flesh and bones, not as an infant and not as a small spirit, one foot or two feet high, but as a full-grown spirit. When the brother of Jared beheld the finger of Christ, he beheld a full-sized finger as of a man. For says Jesus, when I shall take a body of flesh and bones and redeem my people, I will appear as thou seest me, as thou now seest me. And this is the body of my spirit. I show myself in the spirit, behold it. You see that it is of the size of man. Okay, and we're 25% through the reading today. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. Continuing on with this quote, this is actually a different quote from the same person. I think it's Orson Pratt. Anyway, all men in the beginning have, a cre- have I created after the body of my spirit. As much as to say that you, the brother of Jared, did not receive your existence in a few years a few years ago here in the flesh, that was not your origin. But all men, all those that I will show you that have existed or will exist upon this earth in the beginning have I created after the image of the body of my spirit. They were all spiritually organized before they came here. This is the only place in the Book of Mormon where the pre-existence is clearly spoken of, and this was revealed before the organization of this church, and is a doctrine which was not in the possession of the Christian world. Hence, it shows that it was dictated by the spirit, a spirit capable of revealing a doctrine unknown to the Christian world, the pre-existence of men. 
So we're on page 50 now, if you're reading along. <clears throat> George Q. Cannon in Journal of Discourses, volume 26, page 185 and 186, stated, It has been argued that because we have no recollection of any previous state of being, our existence must therefore have commenced at our birth, that that was the inception of the existence so far as we are concerned. This is the general belief throughout Christendom. No body of worshippers who call themselves Christians that we have any account of have any belief in a pre-existent state of man. They consider his birth into mortality as the beginning of life for him. Yet the belief is universal among them that Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Redeemer of the world, had a pre-existence. It is the cornerstone of their faith. If Jesus did not have life till he appeared in mortality, then their faith in him is in vain, for he would not be God. See, they believe the Trinitarian crap. I'm sorry, it's crap. I go to a church that believes in Trinitarian stuff, but I, I think they're pretty cool. I just, I don't agree with them. And I talked to the pastor the other day, and I was like, telling him some things and he's like oh i don't know uh, that's an interesting thought and uh, i'm like oh. you know i don't know. anyway continuing on with the quote but they profess to believe that he is god the son that he dwelt in the heavens and was the creator of all things before he took upon himself humanity in believing this they are correct kind of they're correct but anyway i'll read it but they but why should they be willing to believe this concerning our elder brother and at the same time be unwilling to believe that the whole family of man also existed in the heavens with the father before he came here is not clear his disciples had the right to think from all that he taught that if he had been with the father before coming into the this mortality or this mortal life they also had been there if they were to be so clearly associated with him in the great future what was there to suggest to them that they had not been intimate, intimately connected with him in the past if he had been chosen from before the foundation of the earth to do the work which he was then doing, what inconsistency would there be in their being chosen also, in them being chosen also, as his ministers and associates at the same time? To look at them as they traveled and labeled together throughout Jewry, there was nothing unreasonable in the idea of their coming, common origin. The Lord Jesus was undoubtedly selected for the great mission of redeeming the world because of his great qualities and he, his particular fitness is one of the Godhead. See, he was chosen to be a member of the Godhead for this earth. Each earth has a different Godhead. Anyway, it is written of him, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above all thy fellows. And that's in Proverbs or Psalms or something. It doesn't. He's quoting the scripture, but he's not giving where the quote comes from. You can look it up. 
I'm pretty sure it's in Proverbs. Anyway, who were his fellows? Were not all of the distinguished of heaven's sons? They are there. They who afterwards made their appearance on the earth as prophets and apostles and righteous men. If he was chosen above all his fellows and anointed with the oil of gladness, is it not consistent and reasonable to support that his faithful apostles were also chosen and anointed to perform their part in the great drama of human existence for the enactment of which the earth was to be prepared? If he had a if he had companions in the heavens or to use the language of the scripture, fellows, is it not re is it reasonable to suppose that he left them there while he came down here and took upon himself mortality? Does it violate in the least any idea that we derive from the sacred records to think that his fellows also came here and as he did, also obtained mortal tabernacles? If we grant that his fellows in the heavens came here as he did and obtained mortal bodies, what shall we say of the undistinguished millions who have crowded their way forward into mortal life from the beginning? Shall we divide humanity into classes and say one class had a heavenly existence before coming here while another class sprang into existence at mortal conception or birth? If we are not justified by either scripture or reason in placing the Redeemer of the world in a class by himself so far as a pre-existence is concerned and in separating him in this respect from his fellows, how can we find warrant for dividing the rest of the family of God into two classes, one as having a pre-existence and another as not having any life till they arrived here? Meaning what most Christians believe, like that God creates the spirit in the womb, which is not true. If it were possible for the Lord Jesus to descend from the mansions of glory and take possession of the mortal tabernacle and be born of woman in the shape of an infant, is it not equally possible that we all did the same? Everything that we know concerning the mysteries of this life justifies us in thus believing, but we are not left to speculate upon this point. God has revealed this in great plainness. The Bible proves to us that Jesus existed with the Father and that he descended from his highest state in the regions of glory to become a mortal man. For he speaks himself in praying to the Father of that glory which he had with the Father before he came here. That that glory, having been revealed to him now, is now, is there anything difficult or incomprehensible in the thought that we all in like manner existed with the Father and with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ before we came here? So that's the end of that quote. Um, we are at 55% through with the reading today. And... Um, I am going to read a little bit more and then um, I'm going to 
uh, I'm going to end this portion of the radio program because we're into it about an hour now and I'd like to split it up into two parts. And like I said, we're at 55%. So let me just read this next quote and then we will get to um, part two. And if anybody calls in in this little segment, we can take a little bit of a break if you have any questions or comments. Um, But if I don't see anybody in the studio or the chat room that I can answer, then I will be going to part two directly. So if there is somebody in the chat room and they've asked a question, which is a valid question or a comment that is a good comment, I'll read it on the air and then I'll answer your question. Um, If nobody... Or if somebody calls in, you know, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. Now, I did have a question that somebody did send me in Messenger that I'm just remembering right now. I'm going to I'm going to answer that question live or, well, whatever, on the radio program. Did, Jesus, or did jo, uh, Joseph Smith really believe that the Garden of Eden was in Missouri? No, he did not. I hate this foolish, ignorant idea that the Garden of Eden was in Jackson County, Missouri. That is not what he said at all. He said that when Adam, at the end of his life, had his great sacrament meeting, it was Adam and Andiamen, and that that when Adam and Eve went eastward out of Eden, that that is where they ended up. So they went eastward out of Eden to go to where modern-day Jackson County, Missouri is today. Which means if you want to know where Eden is, you must go west, young man. Go west. The fact of the matter is, There are people living in the Garden of Eden, where the Garden of Eden was now, and they don't even know that it was there. Now, that's that's speculation, I guess. I don't know exactly where it was, because guess what? It could have been taken up with, with, uh, you know, the landmass that went up with Zion before the flood, which Joseph Smith taught was where the Gulf of Mexico is now. But... I believe that the Garden of Eden was in the Salem, Utah area. And when they were cast out of the Garden of Eden, they went eastward out of Eden to where Jackson County, Missouri is now. All right, this one quote. we got to get through this. Orson Pratt, Journal of Discourses, Volume 15, page 243 to 245. When we come... To new revelation which God has vouchsafed to give his people in these latter times, this subject is made very plain, and on these new revelations in connection with the old, what little light we can gain through the hymn that was sung in the opening of the meeting and was founded, When shall I regain thy presence? As expressed in the fifth our first verse, 
verse showing that we once were in the presence and existence where he is. But for some reason we have been banished therefrom and that we that when we are redeemed we shall return again or as one in the inspired one of the inspired writers has it the spirit shall return to to the god who gave it this reuniting of the spirit to god who gave it clearly shows to my mind that the spirit once existed with god and dwelt in his presence otherwise the word return would be in applicable if i were going to china it would be in or inapplicable for me to say i am returning to china why because i have never i've never been there consequently the word return would be an inappropriate word and so in regards to saying to the saying of the prophet it would be entirely improper to say that after the body body crumbles to the dust the spirit would return to the God who gave it if it had never been there. On page 53, Jesus seems to have been a partner in a pa- I'm sorry, Jesus has seems to have been a pattern in all things pertaining to his brethren and we find that he had a previous existence. His spirit existed before he came and tabernacled in the flesh. This is abundantly proved in scriptures in the prayer which he offered to his heavenly father beseeching him to make his his disciples one he says father glorify thou me with that glory which i had before the before i was born before the world was now if jesus dwelt with the father before the world was why not the rest of the family or in other words the rest of the spirits it certainly was not his tabernacle which dwelt there before the world was for he came in the meridian of time and his spirit entered a tabernacle of flesh and bone bones and was born of a woman just the same as all the rest of the human family what then is the meaning of that scripture which speaks of Jesus being our elder brother it certainly could not have reference to him for being the eldest so far as the his natural birth on this earth is concerned for he certainly was not the eldest for generation after generation had preceded him during the 4000 years which had passed away from the time of creation until he was born but that yet he is called our elder brother in another scripture it is said of him that he was the firstborn of every creature this would imply then that Jesus so far as the great family of man is concerned was the firstborn of the whole of them how and when was he born He was born in the eternal world, not his flesh and bones, but but that intelligent spirit, which dwelt within his tabernacle, was born before this world was made. See Jesus' self-existence and the fact that he's always existed either as an intelligence or as a spirit. But there was a point when his intelligence became self-aware, and he became. 
a spirit. He was born in the spirit. Anyway, but that's not why he's the firstborn. Because he wasn't the firstborn of them either. So, he was chosen to be the redeemer and head uh, to redeem this earth under the direction of his father and under the direction of his Elohim. And his Elohim was Jehovah and his father was Michael. Anyway, continuing. And he seems to have had been a spirit, been the the first spirit that was born and for this reason he became the elder brother and we are told in many scriptures in the New Testament that we are his brethren and that he is not ashamed to call us his brethren I look upon him as having the same origin as we had only he was the eldest and if he was born into the eternal world thousands of years ago why not all of the rest of his brethren so far as their spirits are concerned. I know that the object objection will immediately ri- arise in the minds of individuals who have not reflected on this subject. If we were intelligent personages thousands of years ago, we're on page 54 now, and dwelling in the presence of God and of Jesus, our elder brother, how is it that we have no remembrance of anything that transpired in our pre-existence. I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. It's because if you understood what it was like to be in the presence of the Father and the Son in their glory, and you're down here on the earth, it's hard. It is hard. I know what it's like to be in their presence. I've been in their presence physically, once in the flesh, and I've been in their presence many times in the spirit. And it's always hard to come back. In fact, I was told that I could go uh, to the temple of God anytime I choose, if I'm worthy of it. And I have chosen not to return because of how extremely difficult it is to come back into this world when you know what it's like to be in their presence. And if I have a work to do here on the earth, I will stay here on the earth to do it until it's my time to go home. And as uh, I have some understanding of this topic based on experience, I understand more fully how great a blessing the veil is to our minds. that we do not remember only but very small snippets if we, if we remember anything at all. And that if we understood what it was like to be in the presence of our Father and our Redeemer, this earth would be so much more difficult. just to remain here in this dark and dreary wilderness. So I am very grateful for the the, the vow that that protects me from remembering certain things and protects us from remembering certain things. But you know what's funny? A lot of people recognize me from the pre-existence. Some people know exactly who I am from the pre-existence. 
Like, I've had people cry at me when they've seen me. And they, they, they'll tell me, I know, I know exactly who you are. I know who you are. I remember you from the pre-existence. Most people don't get that. But some do. Most people just, they, they say to themselves, I know him from somewhere. I don't know how I know him, but I know him. They do the same thing to my wife as well. Anyway, uh, if you understand who I am, then you understand why every single one of you will remember who I am when the pre-existence, I mean the pre-existence, when the veil is gone from your mind, you'll be like, oh, I remember him. Anyway, I answered this question by saying, what then that we, I'm sorry, by saying that when he came into this world from our former state and existence, we had our spirits enclosed within these mortal tabernacles. It had a tendency to take away our memories so far as the past was concerned. It did so in relation to, to Jesus. He had great knowledge before he was born into this world, sufficient to create the heavens and the earth. And all that create means, I'm sorry, if you don't know Hebrew, then you screw it all up. All it means is that he helped to organize the heavens and the earth. And he organized, helped organize these spirits in the spirit world, uh, in the pre-existence. Anyway, hence we read in Hebrews that by his, that God, by his son, made the worlds. That was before Jesus came here, and we must then have been in a possessor of great knowledge to have been able to do that. But when he took upon himself flesh and bones, did he forget this knowledge? We read in the scripture speaking of Jesus coming here and taking a body of flesh and bones that in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. What humiliation? His descending from the presence of God his Father and descending below all things, his judgment was taken away. That is, his remembrance of things that were past and that were knowledge and that knowledge which while in the presence of his father enabled him to organize the world to make the worlds and he had to begin at the first principles of knowledge just the same as all his brethren who came here in the flesh we read that jesus as he grew in stature grew also in wisdom and knowledge if he had possessed all wisdom and had not forgotten that which he formerly possessed, how was it that he could increase in wisdom as he increased in stature? It shows clearly that the wisdom which he had possessed thousands of years before had, for a wise purpose, been taken from him. His judgment was taken away, and he was left as it were, in the very depth of humility and beginning of the very first principles of knowledge and of growing up from grace to grace, as the scriptures say, from one degree to another, until he received a fullness from his Father. Then, when he did regain all his previous knowledge and wisdom, he had the fullness of the Father within him. In other words, in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And now we're on page 55. 
We're almost done with this quote. So once again, the guest call number is 917-889-8827. Now, if his knowledge was forgotten and his judgments taken away, why not ours? We find this to be the case. All right, so that's the end of that quote. Now we'll go to part two if we don't have any guest callers. And uh, if we do have any guest callers, we'll just uh, we'll answer your questions at this time. And if not, that's fine. Um, but we're only going to take a couple questions. We're not going to draw it out because we do have another part to this. Right now we are at 87%, so part two won't be as long. So you won't have to wait that long to get into the second portion the second questions and answers part of the program. But if you'll just wait, uh, if uh, if you have a longer thing that you want to say or whatever. Anyway, let's get to that point. Thank you for listening to part one. And now we will go to part two, unless we have somebody questions or comments, whatever. Thank you. Okay, part two. We are at 87% and we are on page 55. After having translated the Book of Mormon on this, by the way, this is Orson Pratt, Journal of Discourses, volume 15, page 248 and 249. After having translated the Book of Mormon, this young man, Joseph Smith, a man of no education or learning, comparatively speaking, was commanded to translate the Bible by inspiration. He commenced the work and the first and second chapter of Genesis containing the history of the creation are very plain and full. In the first chapter, the Lord speaks about the spiritual creation of all things before they were made temporally. In the second chapter, he goes on to state that there was not yet a man to till the ground, for in heaven created I them. That explains the mystery about the work previously spoken of in the first chapter of Genesis and shows that it had reference to a great work which God had performed in the heavens before he made this earth temporally. So that's why Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 don't match up because they were two different creations. God first creates everything spiritually and then he creates them temporally. That's why there's two accounts of the creation story which do not match up. Anyway, this same doctrine is inoculated in some small degree in the Book of Mormon. However, I do not think that I should have ever discerned it in that book had it not been for the new translation of scriptures that throwing that throwing so much light and information on the subject i searched the book of mormon to see if there were indications in it that i related to the pre-existence of man i found them in a great revelation that was given to the prophet who led the first colony to this country from the tower of babel at the time that the languages were confounded and that actually is um, the brother of Jared, Mohammed Moyankama, and and Jared, right? That's who he's talking about here, and that's an, at Ether, the Book of Ether and the Book of Mormon. This great prophet had a remarkable vision before he arrived on this continent. In this vision, he saw a spiritual personage 
of our the spiritual personage of our Savior as he existed before he came to take upon himself flesh and bones. And Jesus, in take, talking to this great man of God, informed him that he appeared to him in the Spirit so he would appear to his brethren in the flesh in the future generations. And said he, I am he that was prepared from before the foundation of the world to redeem my people. See, Jesus Christ, God the Redeemer, was chosen to take this position for this earth as God the Redeemer before this earth was even created. He furthermore addressed himself to this great man saying, quote, Seest thou more, seest thou that thou art created in mine own image? We're on page 56 for those of you who are reading along. That is, man here on the earth is in the image of that spiritual body or personage of Jesus so far as we are not deformed. Seeing that thou, thou seest thou that are created in mine own image, yea, even in the beginning created or organized, I, all men after mine own image. No, there's a great deal more information pertaining to the pre-existence of Christ, some of which is included in chapters 9 and 10 of this publication. So, we haven't gotten to that point yet, but it looks like we're done with the chapter. I guess I probably could have just continued on, because I was at 97 megabytes, and I can do 100 megabytes per clip, but it doesn't matter. This is part two. So the next chapter that we'll get into is chapter 5, the Genesis and two creations, which will be a great chapter, I'm sure, but we'll get to that tomorrow, which will be uh, Tuesday, April 26th, and we'll go live with that at 6 p.m., and I'll try to get it all prepared beforehand. Now, I did have a question that did come up, and I would like to, let's see here, okay, here's the question, how do we feel about young earth creationism, I have a hard time believing this, I know that Joseph Smith said 6,000 years, but he also said people lived on the moon. It seems very unlikely that nothing died on the planet more than 6,000 years ago. Where did all the oil come from? And it's possible all the atomic decay dating methods are all wrong by exactly the same amount. It's possible the earth was assembled with all the clues, but they're put there to fool people. It's possible that the geological record was all a miracle in DNA, the DNA trail from single-celled to more complex form was all a divine joke, but I don't understand why Heavenly Father would do that. Okay, so let's go over a couple of things. The whole thing about the people on the moon, <clears throat> okay. Each of the planets that exist out of the protected uh, magnetosphere of this Earth are higher-level planets. This Earth is a celestial planet. The Moon is outside of our protected layer of the magnetosphere, 
and is in the direct rays of the sun, fully bombarded by the radiation that comes from the sun. They are, these planets are terrestrial planets, Venus, Mercury, Mars, Jupiter. <clears throat> anyway, so these, uh, these, the moon actually was placed there uh, for a couple of reasons, but I believe it's a staging area for, uh, for celestial and terrestrial beings to come here from other Earths. And that it is a, uh, it, it's got a place where there's a base for those people to come to, to get prepared to come into this Earth. Um, and I do believe that there are resurrected people on the moon, same as Joseph Smith did. I also believe that celestial divine beings, exalted beings, can exist on the sun with no problem. In fact, what I believe we're seeing on the outside of the sun is just the atmosphere of the sun. And uh, if you go into the inner uh, portion of the sun, that there is actually a civilization of celestial exalted beings. And we know through scripture that they uh, they dwell in everlasting burnings. And I, I think that it's fine that, that we can believe that, yeah, that these divine beings do live under the surface of the sun in, um, in a place. And there's a vision called the vision of the Elohim that actually goes into great detail on this. And I will not be going through that at this point. You might be able to Google it. I'm not sure how public it is. I've talked about it and I've shared it on my Facebook wall and in different places, but it's some deep stuff. Anyway, um, the whole thing about the oil, well, where did the oil come from on Europa? The methane gas, the sea of methane, like, <clears throat> there's more to the story than what the scientists understand. Um... However, okay, so this is the way I believe it happened. I believe that under the direction of God, the Eternal Father, there are exalted beings called the Elohim, and that they are of advanced technology, and that they terraform earths that are in the right spot, or they'll place an earth in the right spot to prepare it for a civilization to be planted into a world. Um, I believe that this earth already had life on it, uh, that it was evolved life, and that God sent, God the Eternal Father and the Council of the Elohim sent Michael here to organize this earth so that it could uh, be prepared to be inhabited by us and that we our ancestors are not from this planet. That this earth was utilized so that we could inhabit it. And um, that God has these great celestial arcs and spaceships. I know that sounds crazy, but let's get into this. Sci-fi, Book of Mormon, Mormon Mormonism, whatever. That God actually... Uh, the gods actually had this earth prepared so that we as a people could dwell there on it. This earth is actually a lot older 
than 6,000 years. I don't know if Joseph Smith understood those things or believed them or if Brigham Young did either. They may have had a portion of the understanding, but personally, I believe that this earth is much older than what they're saying. Of course, I'm also skeptical of scientists who say that they know, because I don't think they know what they think they know. I think that the carbon dating methods that they use are uh, easily, um, what do you call it? You can like get carbon dating off of stuff that, like animals that have just died a couple of years ago, you can carbon date them and they will be ancient, ancient, but we know that they just died. We also know that uh, fossilization under certain um, circumstances is easily produced within hours or days, and it doesn't take hundreds of thousands of years to fossilize things. Um, there's like so much more scientists, or science, true science behind things than what the ignorant scientists want to give you. I think that that they are deceived and that they are deceiving um, depending on how much knowledge the scientists have and that popular consensus will tell the scientists, well, this is the way it was, and they just go along with it in their hypothesis, but that there is other evidence that they refuse to look at which would show them that they are wrong and that they've got to delve deeper into these things than what they're learning in the schools schools of thought and uh, I believe that this is satanic in nature to try to somehow disprove the scriptures that's my personal belief those are my personal opinions God didn't do it to fool people um, I don't think that the ancient Israelites could have understood these things quite so much as we can understand them with Understanding how earths or how worlds can be terraformed, and uh, if we understand those things, how much more so do the gods understand those things? Like it's you know their their technology is like vastly superior to ours. Like in the period of the last six thousand years, let's say, look at where we've come from and look at what we're beginning to understand now take that to exalted beings and the billions of years that they've had to understand things. What they understand is so vastly superior to what we understand that we sit here in utter ignorance uh, with our science and all of the things that we think that were so great and we understand all these things. It's nothing compared to what they understand. So um, I just believe that this earth was here before Adam arrived and that uh, Jehovah and Michael organized this earth to prepare it so that earth, the earth could be populated by us and that we're not from here. So anyway, that's what I believe about that. And I'm really grateful for that question uh, by uh, Tricia. So, um, and that question comes from Uncensored LDS. Let's see here. 
Oh, wait, I'm... Where did that question come from? Uncensored LDS Church uh, topic, uh, gospel topics and discussion or something like that. I, I've got a couple of these groups that um, that I admin, and that's one of the more popular ones. Of course, the most popular group that I have is LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, and I admin that group. Um, but other groups that I post in are Mormon Fundamentalism. Another one that's getting to be very popular is a Fellowship for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, I didn't create any of these groups. People gave me these groups, and then I became the admin because they really enjoyed my my work in trying to bring to light uh, doctrine, uh, especially doctrine that the church doesn't teach anymore and delving deeper into things. So people gave me these groups. I didn't create a fellowship for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It was given to me. All the S. Last Day's prophecy and gospel discussions was given to me about six years ago by another individual who sometimes when he comes into the group, I'll like make him into an admin and he'll be there for a while and he is just interested in hearing what people have to say. And then he disappears again for a couple of months or a year or something. So anyway, that was a different person's group. Uncensored LDS Church Experiences and Doctrines was the one that people... um, Let's see here. Yeah, that was the one that, uh, that that question was asked in. And that's another one of my groups that somebody gave me. Um... I also post in Uncensored LDS Mormon Topics, which is not my group, and that is kind of a harsh group. Uh, there's a lot of anti-Mormons in there, a lot, of, a lot of apostate Christians and faithful Mormons. Anyway, um, let's see here. Some of the other groups I post in are Latter-day Debate, uh, Word Group Scripture Discussions, um, Latter-day Lobsters and Sorted Saints, which I think is fun. I don't post in there as much as I post in other places. Aaron's Temple, or yeah, Aaron's Jesus Temple Life is a group I post in. Zion, the Holy City, is another one. Uh, here's another group that I post in: is LDS members and missionaries working together. And that's not my group. Uh, another group is Mormon Fundamentalist Study, or Scripture Study Group. And uh, I enjoy that group as well, but I'm not the admin of that group. But I am admin of a bunch of different groups. And then there's like a bunch of pages that I admin. Um, some of those pages, my most popular one is Messiah Ben Joseph. And then I've got another one called Fundamentally Mormon Podcast and Radio Show. Another one's called Zion's Redemption Radio Network. And then I have two pages that are called Church of the Living Messiah. One was created by Facebook, and they sent me the information that they created that, even though I had already created a page called the Church of the Living Messiah. Anyway, but I admin both of those pages. And then Zion's Redemption Bookstore, and then another one called One Mighty and Strong, the Second Witness of the Father. 
which is my group, and I do claim to be the second witness of the Father, who is mighty and strong. And I know if you don't understand what that means, uh, all the mighty and strong ones were, were in, for this earth, the first presidency of this earth is mighty and strong. That's God the Creator, who is the Father, God the Redeemer, who is the Son, and God the Witness, who is the Holy Ghost. But also that there are 12 in front of them who are also mighty and strong, who are great prophets who come in different times in the history of this earth, and they're also mighty and strong, and they claim to be one of them. Uh, anyway, and then there's another one called Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith Discussion Group. That's a page. And then I have another one I never post in called Jesus is Married. So anyway, um, so that is, that's all I have to do. Uh, that's all I have to say for today. Let me see if I have any more questions. Oh, yeah, there's this one question. Okay, so I answered the question earlier about um, did G Joseph Smith really believe the Garden of Eden was in Jackson County, Missouri? No, he did not. Adam and Eve went eastward out of Eden, and that's where they ended up in Jackson County, Missouri, where that is presently. Eden was west of there. Okay. So Joseph never said the Garden of Eden was in Jackson County, Missouri. That is just lazy, like people being lazy with what Joseph Smith said. Anyway, he goes on to say, but doesn't the Bible say the Garden of Eden was where the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers in the Middle East? I know that there were two other rivers that they can't, and they can't be found. But then again, the world was once Pangaea, where, where all of the continents were once one continent. Okay, Pangaea never existed. I'm sorry. Uh, before the flood, the earth was uh, was a globe, but it was relatively flat. Not a lot of really tall mountains, not a lot of deep crevices. And before the flood, there was a lot of water in the inner part of the earth, and there was an atmosphere of water above the earth, which protected the people of the earth from the harmful rays of the sun, even more than the magnetosphere and all of the whatever does today, the ozone layer and all of that, there was water up there. And when the flood happened, it says that water came down from above and it gushed up from beneath, okay? So now you have an earth that is completely covered in water, but the earth is relatively smooth as a globe. I mean, it really is today if you look at things. It's like, but, you know, from our perspective, I mean, you've got Mount Everest. It's massive. But anyway, so, but the earth was relatively, relatively smooth before the flood. After the flood, in order to drain the water out and to let land come back into existence, I guess, even though it was underneath the water, what happened was, where there's major fault lines, the earth buckled and some portions of the land went down and other portions of land came up over a slow process and the water drained away from where the ark was and from all of the surface of the earth where there's land. Now, I think it's foolish for people to believe that the ark floated around for over a year 
and was anchored to some place on the earth. Now, it was not. The earth continued to rotate and go around the sun and do all of its things, and the ark floated upon the earth for over the space of a year. Where they took off from, or where the flood began, is not, and the ark was at a certain place, is not where the ark landed. The ark landed in Turkey, on Mount Ararat. The the petrified uh, evidence of that is still there, way up on the mountain. Like, what the heck is a boat doing up? And there's more evidence. It's not just a rock formation. Like, there's a ton of evidence that this is the ark, right? Well, when the ark landed because the earth, uh, the water was being drained away by this process that was going on, it rested upon that high mountain, which, by the way, why would there be a massive boat upon this mountain? Like, oh my gosh, it it's fun. Anyway, but um, Noah, when he came off the ark, he you know, had his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. He lived quite a long ways, about quite a long time. Um, and he named things after what he knew. Well, where he took off from, there were rivers. There were four major rivers. And when he found four major rivers, he named them after those rivers before the flood. Just because those rivers existed or exist named rivers in the Middle East doesn't mean that those were the original, like those were not the original rivers. So that's how um people get confused. They think, oh, well, this means this. So the Euphrates and the Tigris and all of this and that, you know, this is where the Garden of Eden was in the Middle East. Well, that's just as absurd as believing it was in Jackson County, Missouri. Because it was neither place. Jackson County, Missouri was where Joseph Smith taught that that Father Adam had his great last sacrament meeting before he was translated and ascended. Or before he died. He didn't die. He was translated. So was his wife, Hava, who we call Eve. But um, they went eastward out of Eden. So Jackson County, Missouri was actually east of Eden. Eden was in the area of Salem, Utah. It's that's what I believe. I might be wrong, but that's what I believe. I also believe that Noah built his ark near Manti. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it doesn't matter because it's not a salvific issue. And whether I'm right or wrong makes no difference at all. It doesn't really matter. But thank you for asking the question. Anyway, let's go live. Um, Once again, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And the the, the chat room is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash 
Fundamentally Mormon. Once again, this is the podcast or internet radio show which is going live on Monday, April 25th, 2022. And uh, we always go live. Uh, well, we I try to do one program a day, Monday through Thursday from 6 p.m. until 8 p.m. So if it is before 8 and you have a, a question or a comment, uh, Give us a call or ask us on chat. Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. Okay. Well, Emmett, are you uh, are you there, Emmett? Emmett yeah, Emmett? I'm just muted. Is that Goatmaster? Hello, Goatmaster. Yeah. Hello. Did you uh, water the goats? And I gave him hay. Good job. What about the chickens? They're eggs right now. Yes, I did their water. Okay. They had the foods. All right. Yes. Well, we put grain in their feeder yesterday. So, all right. Well, uh, did you, uh, can you tell me if we have anybody in the chat room or in the studio? I could, but I don't feel like it. Uh, okay. I know. <laughs> uh, it doesn't look like anyone's in the studio. Let me reload the chat room. It's taken forever. Okay. Anyway, while we're waiting for that, there's probably nobody there, but... What's that, Emmett? Oh, it's, it's working, it's working. Oh, it oh, changed. Okay, why oh, are you interrupting no me? <laughs> Stop. Oh, my gosh, nobody's there. Thank you for that. Anyway, okay. I was trying to say uh, Monday and Tuesday nights, there's a Zoom call at doctrineofchrist.com. Uh, for anybody who's interested, Phil Davis will be talking about Isaiah and the Davidic Servant and the Return of Joseph Smith tonight, and that goes from 8 p.m. until he's finished, and then he opens it up for questions and comments, and uh, you can go to Doctrine of Christ Facebook uh, group to find that. They also, I allow them to post in my group as well, even though I don't agree with everything they have to say, but that's fine. You know, I, I kind of consider LDS Last Day's Prophecy and Gospel Discussions to be um, a free-range type of group for those who believe Joseph Smith was a prophet, whether or not they believe Brigham Young was a prophet, or whether they believe Joseph Musser was a prophet, or Ruben Allred, or James String, or Sidney Rigdon, or Joseph Smith III. You know, I consider it a non-denominational group for people who believe Joseph Smith was a prophet to speak. Uh, And that even includes some Baptists and Pentecostals. I mean, I got a a video of a Pentecost. No, he's a Baptist that uh, really loves the Book of Mormon and preaches on it. When I was in my mission back in the late 90s, uh, my first area was Savannah, Georgia. 
and there was a whole congregation of individuals that believed that Joseph Smith was a true prophet and that he did uh, bring forth the Book of Mormon by the, 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 um, by the power of God, but they did not believe Brigham Young was a prophet or anybody else, just Joseph Smith. And my companions and I used to go over there and talk to them every once in a while, you know, and felt they were never going to convert to the LDS church, but they sure did love that Book of Mormon. So, yeah, there are people out there that are outside of the mainstream church that do believe uh, that the Book of Mormon is true. Now, Kimberly, my wife, has finally, just now, one hour and 53 minutes to the beginning of the program, decided to call in. Emmett, please unmute your mother. Hi, Kim. Okay. I know you, you can hear me, but Emmett is Hi, Mom. trying. I don't want to hear you. I'm not going to unmute you. Just kidding. <laughs> Seriously, Emmett? Hi, Mom. Oh, there it is. Hi. Hello. Hi. Welcome to Hello. the program, Miss Come Johnny Come Lately. You know, there's Good this morning, thing about Sunshine. better late than whoa. never. <laughs> uh, except for the message is already done, and I was just about to go and end the program. But thanks for calling in. Did you have a question for today's topic? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Press one. So how was your meeting? Um, I think. It depends on how the kids think the meetings go because the things that they are saying um, are um, things we've already told them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to hear from somebody else besides the mom and dad who think they know everything. Well, oh, that's by the what way, I I'm going too. in the dip. Okay. Tell everybody about the ham, the swine flesh. Yeah. Uh, it was ham. It was ham. Everybody decided they didn't want to eat it. Yeah, they have a dinner afterwards. No, before. Oh, it's before? Mm-hmm. You mean to tell me that I could have been going to these dinners this whole time? The entire time. Well, you never said anything about it before. I thought it was after the meeting. Nope, it's before. I will only go if there's cinnamon gummy bears. I'll have there's to cinnamon come gummy bears. I will go. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not, because I do have to do the radio show instead. Which means I have to <laughs> yep. get the truck all ready to go, and hopefully in the truck by six. Yep. Um, the meeting starts at five, so. Not a lot of, not a lot of leeway right there for all that mess. Anyway. Uh, well, anywho, yeah. Yeah, so like I said, everybody, anybody who is listening, uh, now or later, those Doctrine of Christ Zoom calls are every Monday and Tuesday um, every week. So if you're interested 
You can also find the Doctrine of Christ uh, on a podcast uh, led by Phil Davis. And uh, yeah, it's pretty good. I think he's uh, I think he's wrong about some things, but that's okay. So is Orson Pratt from Brigham Young, and I still like those guys, even though they did some things that I'm like questionable. But um, <laughs> you know, whatever. Anyways, mm-hmm. we're all wrong. All of us are wrong in some things. So I I won't condemn. I'll let God judge. You know, but anyway, so um, I guess since we don't have many callers, and since uh, somebody is throwing pieces of metal in the background, what is that? Oh my God! Yeah, uh, me. Sorry. I don't know. I don't know who it is, but it wasn't on when Emma was unmuted. Anyway, Are you I'll being eaten alive? By metal robots? Yes. Oh. I knew it. Emmett, save your mother. I don't know where she's at. Mom, where are you? Uh, Obviously right not here. getting saved by you. Um, Tucker no, is staring out right the window here. longingly for you. And I was going to ask questions. About what? You know, what? like, like, um, what people would like to have for food and stuff. I, can I had call to you after the show. Yeah, that's what yeah. we're waiting for. Yep. Okay, then I don't know why you talked after I said I was going to end the program. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, Emmett. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, and. Uh, just go ahead and mute yourself, Emmett, and your mother and myself. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back on tomorrow with another episode of Fundamentally Mormon on Zion's Redemption Radio Network. We go live Monday through Friday, or Monday through Thursday from 6 p.m. until we're finished. And uh, thanks, everyone. Emmett, cue the music.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.